right. Uh, welcome to those that have just uh, joined us. Uh, we are starting a new uh, series uh, called uh, Knowing God. And whilst I was um, preparing for this session, um, I was mindful concerning the topic initially. I was just going to call the title of this series God uh, without any qualifications. Uh, but then in, in the middle of it, I had this sense in which I thought, hold on a minute, when it comes to the study of scriptures, when it comes to Bible study, um, the end is really uh, not just a intellectual knowledge of, of the scriptures. Uh, it's for us to come into a um, deep relationship uh, with God himself. And I'm also mindful that, you know, my natural style is just to give information. But then I realize actually when it comes to us doing the study on God, it's not just for us to learn about God uh, from a theological standpoint or to learn about God from a intellectual standpoint, but really for us to be able to perceive him uh, with our hearts uh, very strongly. And I'm encouraged by, you know, Paul's letter uh, to Timothy uh, in Second uh, Timothy 3.15, 2 Timothy 3.15, uh, and it says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in christ jesus i'm going to read that again so this is from second timothy 3 15 this is paul writing to timothy um, his son, and it says, but for you, continue in what you've learned and have become acquaint, uh, convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And the people that is, Paul is referring to here includes uh, Timothy's mother and his grandmother as well. And verse 15, he says, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which you are able to, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know, the knowledge of the scriptures, uh, which we would now call uh, the Bible, is what makes us wise uh, for salvation. And of course, it's through faith um, in, in, in Jesus. Um, literally, it's by reading the scriptures that we get to um, receive the life that most of us now have as, as Christians. That's how we know what it means to be in darkness and what it means to you know, have eternal life. You know, it was, I think, John that was writing to the disciples and said, you know, I've written these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that knowledge of them being able to be convinced that they were Christians or had eternal life in them was because of the knowledge of the scriptures. And for us as well, it's the tr means by which we experience, you know, transformation. Um, it's the means by which we are changed into, into, into the image of God. You know, the vision of our group is very much largely around becoming like Jesus, you know, going from where we are right now to becoming like Jesus literally comes through interacting and engaging with the word of God, you know, and you'll find, you know, there are people and majority of us, I think here as well, we've grown up in church. We've, I don't want to speak for everyone, but we've, you know, heard, uh, um, preaching of God's word being said to us from very young age, but, it took a while before some of us actually decided, okay, you know what, well, we're going to become Christians or we're going to eventually give our lives to, to God. 
you know, there are those with degrees in, in theology uh, who don't necessarily have a personal knowledge of God. You know, it feels like there's things on a spectrum. So on one hand, you have those that, you know, know the Bible, uh, but sometimes they don't even believe in the existence of God. You know, I've been privileged to uh, go to a theological college, you know, and one of the concerns people have about theology is the fact that you can be taught, <clears throat> excuse me, by people that know a lot about the Bible, but don't have a personal relationship. You know, that's just the nature of theological education. So you might go to colleges like Oxford, Cambridge, where the people that are teaching theology, they have a very, very detailed knowledge of the Bible. But when it comes to, you know, um, an awareness of who God is for, for themselves, that is missing, you know. And in the middle of the spectrum, you have those who believe in the existence of God, know the Bible, um, but don't have a personal relationship uh, where they know God on a personal level for themselves. Um, and then, of course, there's the other expectation, which I'm hoping that all of us are at, where, you know, we know God exists, we know the Bible, and we know the knowledge that brings about salvation, you know. So that's the sort of, you know, the spectrum that we have. And, you know, I remember when we looked at um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the statistics that we saw was how within the Church of England, uh, which is the national church in the UK, there are ministers that don't actually believe in the existence of God. Um, so they are acting as a clergy, and, and this was actually published in the independent newspaper in 2014. There are clergy people that, you know, they, they are ministers in the church, but they don't believe in the existence of God, you know. And you sometimes wonder to yourself, how does that actually happen, that you can act as a minister in a church setting without you actually believing in the existence of God. You know, I think they kind of give an estimate that there were about 2% of uh, the uh, minister, to minister, normal people in, you know, within the um, Anglican church or the, shall I say, the Church of England within the UK that fell into that category. You know, and so my vision really for this series is not just for us to know the names of God, for example, or know about the Trinity, but for us to t make that knowledge personal um, uh, to us. And I'll just give a quick story of how a study like this, for example, has actually impacted me. So I remember as a relatively new Christian, I was very much like a yo-yo. You know, all of a sudden, you know, I'll feel God said this and I'll swing, do what I felt God said. And in the same breath, the same God that I felt said something to me would change his mind. And then I'll swing backwards. And it was like a constant back and forth, you know, and that started to play out even in my professional life where I felt that, oh, God was saying, you know, I should take a job somewhere. And as soon as things didn't go my way, I felt God was saying, leave that role. And it literally went on constantly. I remember there was a friend, I was going to buy a car from her. And I had said to her, I want to buy the car. Just before we were about to exchange contract or exchange money, I was like, I don't think I want to buy this car. And all that was going on underneath was me having this sense in which I felt God was saying, go for it, don't go for it, go for it, don't go for it. And it started becoming almost like that was becoming schizophrenic. And, and I don't, there are quite a lot of people that have this sort of experiences where they feel God said something and they feel this retracted. Because when I was growing up as a teenager, I heard a story of another young man that had exactly the same experience as I did. And coming back to how I 
a teaching like what we're doing now has impacted me is it got to a point that I just realized actually God doesn't change. You know, the nature of God is, is unchangeable. And so one of the ways I thought, you know, I need to help myself out of this all is just, you know what, be like God. In other words, if I've made up my mind about something, I need to stick by it. And also God is not the God of confusion. And so at some stage, I had to make up my mind to believe something about the nature and the character of God. And I'll be honest with you, my emotions never changed straight away. I still felt those emotions, but my confidence in knowing that actually the God that we serve does not change is not going to tell you, oh, I wanted to give five pounds or 10 pounds and then say to you in the next moment, don't give that 10 pounds. Literally changed the way in which my life and choices were made. And so now I became very stable. So there might be times in which I would feel something on the inside. Oh, don't do this anymore. But because I know the authority of God's word says, you know, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Anything else is from the enemy. I started to apply that in basic, basic choices. And eventually my emotions now, I have to say, my emotions now have caught up. I mean, I shared the testimony in church on Sunday as to, you know, the fact that I haven't updated my LinkedIn profile about the job that I've been doing for the last seven months. And that was just because underlying a lot of what I was going through with, you know, me feeling insecure about the role was also that insecurity about, you know, is God changing his mind and, and so on. And so part of it is me saying, you know, I don't want to update it just in case. But of course, thank God, I'm seven months in. I feel like a part of the furniture in the company now. But it's just to say that, you know, a teaching like this, I'm hoping that it's to shape who we are and what we believe about God. So what should we expect from uh, the series? Um, so one of the topics we're going to be looking at is who is God, which is part of what we're looking at today. Um, we're going to also look at the Old Testament names of God. Um, I'll be sharing some of the resources that I've looked into on the names that, you know, God bore in the Old Testament as a way of just helping us uh, to become better acquainted with him. Uh, we're going to be looking at character of God. Uh, so one of the character of God is the fact that God doesn't change, is immutable. Um, that's an aspect of his character. The fact that God is holy, you know, literally holiness sums up all his entire character. It caught him above uh, the rest of creation. Uh, we're going to be looking at Trinity. And I know one of the questions that came up last week was around, um, you know, why does the Bible uses E a lot in scripture to define God? Because for us in the UK, the Church of England, for example, they are trying to degender God. Uh, and so I've seen some church, and I think it's not just unique to the UK, but I think it's in the US as well that people have started to call God they, as opposed to, you know, he, and the masculine pronoun. So we'll look at what the Bible has to say about why the Bible uses masculine pronoun to um, uh, not define God, but to uh, personalize God. And then, of course, finally, how can we know God personally? Now, I'm going to leave the floor open um, just to, I guess, reflect um, in case anybody has any thoughts that they would like to share. Um, based on any of the things I've said so far, um, any any um, reflections, any questions. And just for the purpose of our guest, um, this is the point in which I'll just leave the floor open. If you want to say something, feel free to come off mute. Um, there's no pressure to say something, but it's just to say that the floor is left open just because it's an online meeting. We need time to just have a moment to breathe mentally. And so feel free to, to come off mute if there's anything you want to share uh, or reflect on based on what I've said. Okay. All right. Cool. So I'm taking the silence as no one has anything to to contribute. So what we're going to start first with 
did I hear someone's voice? Maybe not. Go ahead, go ahead for that, just because of time. No, no, don't worry. We're not having a breakout room today, so you're fine. Okay. No, um, uh, no, thanks for, I just wanted to share on reflecting on what you shared about um, when you're trying to make a decision and, you know, having that moment of God said and then God changed his mind. And it just brought my mind back to one of the ways I eventually learned to hear God's voice and know when God is speaking to me. And I know I went through such a, a similar phase as well, where it was a particular decision and it wasn't even something small, it was something really huge. Um, and I believe that God had said, and then I would just have, these sort of voices in my head say in my head saying you know God said and it's like no God is not saying it and it's like yes go for it no don't go for it no and they got so bad I got so it was almost like I was going mad and I would be so scared to be in a room alone by myself because it was just it was just constantly you know yes no yes no don't do this don't do that kind of thing but um it, it over time it helped me to actually know and yes and, and one of the things I came to realize was God doesn't confuse but it helped me over time to actually learn to know when God is speaking to me. And part of that was that he gave me peace, um, as well as, you know, some other things that I would need to look out for. But, um, I, I thought it was a good experience for me. And actually, you know, and, and the Bible does talk about, you know, the, his sheep hearing his voice and knowing his voice. And so that was, um, it wasn't pretty at the time, but um, I think it really did yield the fruit of me actually knowing God's voice now for myself and not being confused as to what he's saying to me. So, yeah. No, thank you so much, uh, Dura. And I have to say that I think this idea of, you know, and I, I don't, I shouldn't say it's an idea, but this reality of God speaking to us is something that I know a lot of other church denominations criticize we Pentecostals about that, you know, how can you say God said to you? And, you know, in me, very similar to Dura, I was, you know, I, I made so many wrong choices, even as a teenager, the university I went for, I was like, you know, I got two offers, one from Imperial College London and one from South Bank University. I chose South Bank, which was at the bottom of the league at the time, just because I felt God was saying, and it was just, it was just a mess. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it wasn't just me that experienced, as I experienced this, but the reality is, as Dura mentioned, God is not an author of confusion. And what gives us that awareness is because of what the Bible tells us about uh, God. And so we're going to start with, you know, um, knowing God what does it mean to know God so I'm going to throw the question to us that when you hear about knowing God um, and Daniel eleven thirty two talks about how they that know their God shall be strong and so what does it mean to know God um, so yeah the floor is open for any contribution from anyone I think the, <clears throat> can you still hear the feedback? Is it still bad? Okay. No, it's perfect. Um, I, no, it's perfect. Okay, perfect. I think the knowing God uh, is essentially knowing how to navigate your life the way that God wants to do. And that means listening and being still. And it might not be something, knowing his voice, knowing God, it might not be something you want to hear, but it's definitely something you need to hear and pay attention. And God is about establishing routines that make sure that we get closer to him. And, and in staying in those routines, we will like reading your Bible and putting him first and praying uh, first thing when you get up in the morning and praying when you 
uh, go to bed and giving thanks for all the things and giving him the glory. So I think knowing God is all of those things and more, and that's why I'm here. <laughs> Amen to that. Um, I, I like the way you've um, really, really um, explained it um, to us uh, in the different aspects of the sense of what it means to to know God. Uh, is there anybody else that would like to um, top top that up um, or share a different perspective to what um, uh, Vinny has shared with us? Okay, so I think basically what I wanted to say, she's like explained it. I, I think that knowing God is like spending that personal time with him, having that intimate time with him where, you know, you uh, we can like read the Bible, you know, meditate on his words and also you know, also connect with him through songs of praise. And also knowing him is, you know, when you have a mom or you have like a dad or like sisters or brothers or friends, you know, like that personal time that you have with them, that you know what kind of people they are and what kind of, you know, what their preferences are and what they like and what they don't like and things like that. So I think, you know, know, you know, spending that time with him and like doing things with him, we get to like, you know, like um, get to know who he is as a father and things like that yeah thank you thank you so much and uh, i like the illustration that i used about family setting i'm gonna have to borrow that in a moment uh, but before i do uh susan has a hand up yes um hi everyone hi Vinny. by the way and everyone um today um yeah for me i, I agree with what Vinny and edith has said and to also add um, for me, knowing God is knowing what, you know, what the scriptures say about him. So not just relying on sermons, but, but, but actually reading the word and learning about how, how God operated, like throughout the Old Testament, you know, like the, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, like what does that mean? You know, the Bible, it tells us he's a man of war you know, when he delivered the Israelites, who that God was, and then who the God was in, in Genesis, you know, and then who he was, I mean, it's the same God, but just knowing how he works, you know, um, because as you said earlier, you know, God does not change, so for me, it's going that deep, like really going back to the historical times, the ancient times, and, and understanding exactly you know, what happened and who he is, if that makes sense. It's my contribution. Perfect. Um, thank you so much, uh, Susan. Um, I don't think there's anything different that I'll have to say to what uh, the three of you have said, and I'll just share a different perspective. And uh, I mean, this perspective goes along the lines of um, what um, illustration that Edith used. And oftentimes I've heard ministers use this as well. That you know, in the UK, for example, our prime minister is uh, Rishi Sunak. Uh, the rest of us, we tend to know him, or his constituents, the people that voted Rishi Sunak in as prime minister, we know him from a TV level or as a colleague. Uh, but there's a different level of relationship that his children have with him, or is his wife have uh, as with him. And you know, uh, the knowledge that we're referring to here is that deep sense of acquaintance or deep sense of intimacy that comes as a result of doing life uh, with that particular person, as opposed to just interacting with them from a distance. And so when we're talking about knowing God, it literally is 
that sense of closeness, uh, proximity, very similar to the way I'm just using a different way of explaining the same thing. Uh, having a close sense of intimacy, having a close sense of awareness about what it likes, what it doesn't like, having an awareness of its character, its nature, having an awareness and you know being deeply acquainted with what he wants to do in a particular you know time. And I'm reminded of that scripture that talks about how the difference between the relationship that Moses had with God versus the relationship that the children of Israel, uh, i.e. the rest of the followers in Israel had with God. So for the children of Israel, uh, the Bible talks about how they knew the act of God. So they knew that God was a God that brought them out from slavery, from Egypt, taking them to the promised land. However, concerning Moses, the Bible talks about, this is in the book of Acts, uh, sorry, Psalms, by the way. It talks about how Moses knew the ways of God. Uh, and so the miracles that the children of Israel saw, it was Moses that had a deep sense of knowledge of God that I was able to bring about those particular miracles. So even down to the pattern of the Red Sea, you know, um, the, the different plagues that came upon Egypt at the time, it was because Moses was in a constant communion with God, you know, that he was able to bring about those acts. So on one hand, there was someone that had a knowledge of God um, that meant that he was able to perform the acts of God. And there were others that just were able to interact with God based on, you know, the things that they saw based on the experiences, as opposed to having an intimate knowledge that brings about, you know, uh, the works of God. And so, you know, that sometimes is a good way of analyzing it where, you know, if you were married to someone, you have a deeper knowledge about that person compared to the rest of the person's friend. And I remember once there was this game that I played uh, with friends uh, called uh, Villages and Mafia. And in that particular game, I'm not sure if anybody else has, has played that game, but it's it's a game where there's like a role play where you have, uh, let's say in a game of about 12 people listed in a living room, you might have maybe about nine uh, villages and then you have three mafias. And over the night, um, a, ma a villager would passed away. And the problem is the mafias, they know each other, whereas the villagers don't know who the mafias are. And so literally throughout the game, the villagers are trying to convince everybody else that they are villagers, as well as the mafias who are the liars are also trying to convince other people that they are villagers, i.e. the people that haven't, you know, the people that are innocent. And I remember in one particular episode, one of the mafias was a guy and his wife was a villager. And of course, for you to stay in the game as a mafia, you need to know how to lie. And this guy lied. However, the, However, wife, the wife made, made um, eye contact I uh, with the husband. And of course, they were in different camps altogether. But because the wife had a knowledge about this guy that when he lies, there's always something about the way it twitches and, and so on. And that's how I literally was able to suss out the fact that, you know, the husband wasn't the person that he claimed to be in that particular sense. And that's an example of somebody knowing someone. They, they know, uh, you know, when their pulses increase because they are lying, they know what makes them thick. They know what makes them anxious, you know, and that's the sort of knowledge that we really re referring to here. And what you also find is even in the definition, um, of knowledge that the Bible tells us, you know, one of the definitions that the Bible gives is the fact that the Jewish people use knowledge or to know something or know someone as an idiom for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. So the Jewish community, they use um, the word translated in English as know 
as an idiom for sexual intercourse. So, and so in Genesis, for example, the Bible talks about how Adam knew his wife. Um, again, he's not talking about a, you know, a knowledge that refers to, oh, I understand this woman to be this and to be that. But effectively, what the Bible was telling us there was the fact that Adam had a sexual intimacy or intercourse with his wife that resulted in them having children. And so that's when we talk about knowing God, and excuse me for the analogy, but it's about us having an intimacy with God such that we know his heartbeat uh, concerning different matters. We know his heartbeat concerning even our nation. We know his heartbeat concerning you know, matters, things that matter to us, whether it's our education, whether it's you know, where God wants us to live, whether it's who God wants us to marry, whether it's you know, things about our careers. You know, that's the sort of knowledge we are referring to. And so when we're talking about knowing God, we're going from a place of just knowing the text of scripture to having a level of deep intimacy uh, with God such that we're able to discern correctly what his heartbeat is for us. And I'm going to get us to read uh, Matthew 7, verse uh, 23, Matthew 7, verse 23. And whoever gets there first, to please read. Uh, but before you read, I'm just going to leave the floor open uh, for anyone to share any reflections before we read that particular text. So if anyone wants to read, uh, feel free to read. Before, actually, before you read, if anybody wants to share any reflections or any thoughts, ask any questions, then please feel free to do that. Yeah, um, for me, you know, just listening to what you were saying, you know, like having that relationship with God, to be sincere, that person and not just the fake one that we all talk about. The, having that personal relationship with God is amazing where sometimes, you know, no matter, you know, how sometimes we want to go back to our old ways in terms of like, you know, putting ourselves first instead of, you know, our brothers and sisters. I think God is so amazing where he, he actually convicts us. And I noticed that, it comes lying for me lying is kind of like because of maybe my relationship i hate lying maybe also because of my relationship with god i'm not sometimes i stammer when it's time to lie so i stammer then or if i lie then i feel really really bad about it so i think also in order for me to be feeling that way it just shows like that you know relationship that i have with god and i think also having that personal relationship with god is now making me more aware of how i treat others and how you know god wants us to treat others you know how we treat ourselves so i think you know yeah i think god is just amazing anyway you know, just to having that relationship with him on how to also like treat others, how we would treat ourselves. Yeah. Thank you guys. Amen to that. Um, we thank God for the work of the spirit so that when we lie, we feel something. And I'm sure a lot of Christians feel this when they're lying on application forms. Um, but we sometimes just, you know, decide, okay, we're just going to go ahead with those uh, forms. But anyway, I'll keep you moving. Um, anyone else that wants to share any reflection, any thoughts uh, before we look at Matthew 7, 21 to 23? And just for the benefits of those that have just joined us, uh, today's our introduction uh, session on knowing God. And so right now we're still trying to define what it means to know God. And we're going to use this text as a way of helping us in that definition. Anyone else that wants to share any thoughts, any reflections uh, before we read the scriptures? Okay, so I'm taking the silence as uh, no one. And if I can have a volunteer to please read Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. I'll read. 
Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who broke, you who break God's laws. Thank you, um, Mary. Now, it's interesting here that I know we've, we're talking about knowing God, but the Bible here flips it the other way around, where Jesus says to particular groups of people that depart from me, I never knew you. Now, to be able to know what it means for God to actually know us, and because I know sometimes we don't always talk about God knowing us. We tend to talk about we knowing God. But there's also a flip side in which is God personally acquainted with us. Now, I have to demonstrate, of course, throughout the session, one of the things we're going to say about God is the fact that God is all-knowing. He knows everything. I.e., He knows the depth of the human heart. You know, that's one of the parts of the things we'd establish. What makes God God is the fact that he's all-knowing. Um, and I think the, the theological phrase for that is omniscience. Or, yeah, I think that's the right word, omniscience. It means he's all-knowing. So one of the things that the Bible does reveal about God is the fact that God knows everything. But for some reason, in this particular text of scripture, Jesus says, I never knew you. So it's of course suggests to us that the knowledge that Jesus is referring here about people is most likely different from the generic knowledge that God has of creation. Uh, that this knowledge has to do with that, again, that intimate knowledge that God being acquainted with us. Again, we talk about we knowing God, but you know, the other flip side is God also has to know us. And in verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of my Father. So effectively, I'm going to flip it the other way around, that part of the ways in which God knows us, and we know that God knows us, is when we do what the Bible tells us to do, or what we do what Jesus tells us to do. Because in verse 21, again, I would say, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, didn't we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name? Now, this one puzzles me, right? Now, I haven't had the privilege of casting out a demon as yet, all right? Now, I've heard stories of, you know, demons coming out of people, how people will converse, how people would, you know, be thrown to the ground. You know, there was a story that a minister shared of, you know, this guy was possessed with a demon and he was spitting all of the room. And he literally, through his words, of course, empowered by God, he was able to get the demon to come out. And that guy was able to experience peace. Now, I've had those kind of stories, but I haven't had the privilege of doing that. Now, it still puzzles me that, you know, you can do such a great mighty act of bringing people to peace. But yet, the Bible says, I do not know you. Now, prophecy just says ability to foretell the future or tell God's mind. And it takes, I mean, one of my gifting is not prophetic gifting. Of course, when I'm in the spirit, then yes. But naturally, I'm a Bible teacher. I tend to study the word. That's the way God works through me, you know. But to be able to operate in that particular gift, being able to tell people you have for breakfast, being able to tell people this is going to happen tomorrow, it takes a particular gift. But yet, Jesus is saying that you can demonstrate those giftings, those abilities that is unique and not everybody can do, but yet... I do not know you. So, of course, the knowledge that is referring to here is different. And so, if we were to piece verse 21 and verse 23 together, God knowing us is means that we've come into that relationship where we're willing to do God's will. Because a proof of, as they say, of a pudding is in its eating. A demonstration of us following God's ways 
is a demonstration that actually God knows us or as well as we know God. You know, there's no point in me saying, you know, I love God, I love God, but, you know, I'm not willing to forgive my neighbor or I'm not willing to surrender a particular thing that God is asking me because then that's almost like an opposite of what it means to demonstrate that love. And so as a way of just closing up on the definition of knowing God, knowing God means we're willing to do God's will, not just willing, but we're actually doing the will of God as well. And that also means there's an opportunity for us to also demonstrate that God knows us. It's not just us claiming to know God, but it's also God being acquainted with us in a deeper sense compared to what it, the knowledge he has of the rest of creation. Any thoughts, any questions, any you know, pushback um, before we look at why we need to know God, why we need to know God. So any thoughts from anyone in terms of um, any of the things I've shared so far or from anything else somebody else has shared? I would say like the chapter that you just um, that Mary just read is so important because, you know, we look at us, you know, as Christians, like the Christians nowadays, we can pray and we can quote the Bible but we're not actually living by the word of God where, you know, when it comes to like unforgiveness, some of us, we're just, you know, talking the talk, we're not walking the walk. So it's the same. We are saying that oh, God said, you know, we said the last prayer where God said, we'll have to forgive those who forgive, you know, who hurt us. But some of us, we still, let me not lie. I used to be one of them. We used to cut. Yeah. So let me just say the truth. So, uh, yeah. So I used to always carry like the anger and everything, but I've gotten to understand that, you know, it's, it takes too much of energy to carry that. And the only thing is that God can just, you know, God always takes care of that. And, you know, when you were like saying something about, you know, not just us knowing God, but also God has to know us. It kind of like brought me to this analogy of like a mom, like a mom that has a child and training the child in the world of God, in the world of the Lord, and later on sends the child to school. Because of the impact that the mother has taught the child, the child goes away. And when he's put in situation, he's able to make the right decisions because why? He has a foundation. So because he's been taught at home. So I think that this is also one thing that, you know, we have a mirror already, which is Jesus Christ. You know, we're already reading it already. So we, no matter what situations that we are putting, we need to try and imitate him because sometimes it's not just about reading the Bible, but people have to see us and through our experience and through who we are you know, for them to see that we are of God and that we are actually the image of Jesus Christ. So I don't know, that was what I wanted to say, but thank you. Thank you so much, um, Edith. Uh, and I like that analogy that you painted about a child living home that has been taught rights. That's once the child is fully acquainted with the ways of the parents, they're able to, you know, just act it out in public. Um, so yeah, no, th thank you so much uh, for that. And I could see, I think, Sabrina's hand was up. Uh, so Sabrina, come up and then do her after you, after Sabrina. Hi. Hi. I follow. Um, yeah, that scripture, that scripture always used to scare me and it still sort of shakes me a little every time I hear it. And I guess one thing that I know I should, and I guess everyone should be doing is examine ourselves. Because as you said, if you're casting out demons and I was thinking, okay, if it's someone who doesn't know or God doesn't really know them, how can they cast out demons? But then I was thinking, obviously, God can use anyone, anything, like he used a donkey to do things in the Bible. Of course, he can use people who don't know him. And it's just one of those things of examining myself, whether, you know, things like casting out demons, like, um, um, praying for the sick, it can allow you to have a big ego pride can set in 
and then you can allow you know it's one of those I did it it was all me and then where's the relationship between you and God where pride now is built up so I guess your relationship could be severed because of just because of you thinking it's your own strength and your own ability so I guess it's one of the things where as I said, just examining myself or ourselves to make sure that I am still in with the Lord. I am still relying on him. Who am I without God? Um, so that on the day of judgment, I do not hear, I do not know you. You know, those are the, the very scary words. I mean, you can't even plead your case, basically, to God. So, yeah, it's a, my, a thought-provoking scripture. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Sabrina, for that. And um, it's interesting you mentioned that because I do remember when the disciples came back, when they had gone, been sent out as well, they were excited about, gosh, the demons were subject to us in your name. And <clears throat> guys, honestly, I don't think you know what it means to cast out a demon. As in, if somebody's been tormented all their life internally, um, and for that spirit to not leave, it means a huge, huge thing. I remember a friend of mine saying how, I mean, this girl was possessed with a demon because she wanted this guy so much. And the transaction she made was, if I get this guy, I'm going to sell my soul to the devil. I mean, can you imagine making a transaction with the devil? Um, and she was eventually tormented by the enemy. And to be able to have that internal torment, I mean, I've had mental health related challenges and I've, you know, thank God I'm totally free now. but it torments on the inside that nobody else can see. It's it's almost as though, you know, there's something eating you up on the inside. The rest of people can't relate to it. They can only see your face being downcast. And being able to set somebody free from that, it takes a huge amount of faith. Um, and, you know, for them now to now to go, go to now say, you know, well, I never knew you. It's, it's, it's quite, uh, it's a huge contrast. And so for the disciples, when they came back, they were so excited that, oh, we said to that thing, come out. And it came out. You know, we always joke in our church how, you know, most of us from African descent, when we try to cast out demons, we tend to raise our voice to let this thing come out. And our church is having a seminar this uh, Saturday with a ministry called Elel Ministry. And, you know, the people there are so different from us where, you know, in the middle of a deliverance session, they might decide to have a tea and coffee break um, and come back to the you know, administration afterwards. And of course, they don't raise their voice. All they do is come out. I'm scared to come out in the name of Jesus. But anyway, coming back to the disciples. You know, they were so excited about having that authority, but Jesus had to temper their excitement to say, you know, I want you to rejoice because your names are written in the book of life. And so whilst, you know, being able to demonstrate this gift and an ability is, is extraordinary, I think for us as God's people, the great reward is having that gift from God of salvation. Having our names written in the Lamb's book of life is for us, you know, the, the icing or, the, or not the icing, but the real uh, deal. Um, anyway, I'll stop talking. Uh, Dura, you had your hand up and so that we don't, yeah, we have enough time to hear from you. Sorry. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I was just thinking um, in, in terms of what, what else it, um, what else can you think of in terms of what it means to know God? And something came to me about, you know, knowing God is also knowing why um, he's who he is. Um, and I think of, you know, when we think of his, you know, his commands not to sin, it's because he's holy, um, you know, when he says, you know, take care of the poor and the, the widows, it's because he's just, he loves justice. Um, when he says give because he's love, when he says, um, you know, don't be, be in strife with other people because he's peace. Because I think of, you know, if I'm trying to get to know a friend, sometimes even if the way they are, 
I didn't really understand it. I don't really understand why they were like, well, what, like, this is why they do some things. I might tend to think of, you know, what, what is it like? What is it about them? Why are they who they are? Why are they, you know, more talkative or, you know, they like hanging out a certain way kind of thing. And it's because I go back to, you know, why, why are they like that? What is it that makes them that way? And it helps me know them. And, and another thing I wanted to say was sometimes we can, you know, we can walk with God for a very long time and still not know him. Um, and I think of, you know, that, 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 and I've heard of a story before of a couple who, um, the husband had a, like a um, health defect. And so if you're African, you might know, um, I think it was like S, SSSC kind of thing. But, you know, they were married for years and years and years. And you know, the wife didn't know until he became sick kind of thing. And, you know, it, it, it just shows that sometimes you can walk with God and actually think you know God but you don't actually know him and you know getting to that stage with God is also you know requires an element of vulnerability from our side as well um, I mean God knows us whether or not we're vulnerable he still knows he knows all the introduces but you know us just being open um, can allow us to get to know him more and I also think that knowing him is fearing as well I think um, there's a scripture I can't remember it, it didn't come to me but I'm paraphrasing here that says he reveals his secrets to those who fear him and that's to say, imagine God being able to reveal his secrets to you because you fear him, because you know him. Um, and yeah, so um, that came to me. I just thought I'd share that. No, thank you. I like the thing you said about the um, knowing the why he does the way things it is, um, especially around things of justice, um, because it's part of his nature. Um, so yeah, no, thank you so much. And uh, we hear from Paul, and then we'll try to move on. By the way, I can see all the comments in the chats, and sorry, I'm only just reading them now. Um, but yeah, keep it coming. Uh, Paul. Yeah, thank you, Fala. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Paul. Thank you. Sorry for joining it. I, I ran out of time. So I, I, I was thinking about the passage that we read, and it's it surprised me that when the Lord was replying to that comment by those servants, the Lord did not deny the fact that they really did what they said they did. So he didn't say, no, you're lying. So I want to assume that they did it in the recent and by his name, they mentioned it by his name. So that one got me thinking that how come they have that license? I just want to put it like that. How come they had a license to do all that in his name without knowing him? So it's something that is thinking in my mind. God did not deny it, so they really did that. So how come they got that license and they did it perfect? Did it perfect. So um, something I'm thinking about, because that will mean that uh, even if I'm working in that um in that terrain, I'm just using myself as example. It's very possible that someone might be following the pattern of those people, doing the work for the Lord, doing a lot of things. And so that, that those comments will not be their own. So I, I wondered, just thinking out loud, how God will allow that or give such license to people that he doesn't know. Yeah, no, thank, thanks so much, Paul. And I'm going to answer this question um, because of time, but of course we can always continue this in the after party. And the way I'd like to think about this is, you know, some of the things that God does, it does it in spite of the people. So there's an example of how God told uh, Moses to speak to the rock, but the brethren was angry and he struck the rock. 
and the same result happened. Of course, the instruction was to do something different. It did something different, but it was able to achieve the same outcome. And with the acts of God, God does it sometimes in spite of us, i.e. in spite of the person carrying the gifting or the vessel. And so that's one aspect of how God does sometimes allow this to happen. Um, another way into which I'm also looking at this is, you know, when we think about the Pharisees, they were the custodians um, of of the law. They were the people that were the, I don't want to say authorities in the church because there was no church then, but they were the authority within the Jewish community. But one of the things God said was, I want you to follow, or this is what Jesus said, I want you to follow what they tell you, but do not do what they tell you to do. In other words, their words are still powerful. Their words are meaning well, but their conduct is not what I want you to follow. And so when it comes to supernatural acts, they are acts. And I remember when Mary taught this, and she gave this analogy of uh, ornaments on a Christmas tree, that when it comes to ornaments on a Christmas tree, they come and go. You can just put them there and take them out. And the gifts of God as well, when it operates through people, can be like those ornaments, that it comes on people for what God wants to achieve is, is, is purposes on the earth. However, they are not to be this compared to be the same as a fruit that grows on a particular tree that a fruit takes a while to grow you know if you're to plant um, an apple tree it takes a while for those fruits to come out and the knowing god because it talks about here that or god knowing them it talks about those that do the will of the father are the people that are bearing the fruit versus you know the analogy of the the ornament on a christmas tree where the gift comes there for a specific reason and once that reason, for us, it's at Christmas time. We, that's when we put out our Christmas tree. And once the purpose is left, the gift goes. And, and, and so that's a quick um, explanation that I like to give as to how people can still operate in the giftings of God. Because as most of us might have, must have heard this, that you know, the giftings of God are without repentance. You know, let's just look at it on a natural level. There are some people that are very good orators when it comes to preaching the gospel. But sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean they have a relationship with God. They have good at articulating things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have that, you know, deep sense of communion with God. And of course, that ability to speak is a gifting. It's a gifting that God has given to people, even the ability to sing. You know, I've heard ministers or song ministers that, you know, they sing really well, quote unquote, the anointing would fall, but in their private lives, it's so different. And so that's the um, explanation on offer. But because of time, we can bring the rest to the after party. And of course, yeah, if those that want to stay to have this conversation, then please uh, do, do so. And so the last question then, which we're going to look at is, we looked at you know uh, what it means to know God. And then the last one is, why do we need to know God? Why do we need to know God? And I'm going to offer just one uh, reason on why uh, we need to know God. And of course, open it up to the, to the rest of the floor for us to share what we believe as to why we need to know God. And I'm going to read from Daniel 11, verse 32. Daniel 11, verse 32. Daniel 11, verse 32. Now, if I can ask anyone that we haven't heard your voice so far to please read, that would be nice. So if you haven't heard your voice so far, uh, then please come off mute uh, to read. So Daniel 11, verse 32. I'm hoping that we don't have the silence forever. Daniel 11. Oh, thank you, Joe. 11.32. Yeah. 
Daniel 11.32. Okay, Daniel 11.32. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who knows their God will firmly resist him. Amen. Amen. And do you, what translation are you reading from? Uh, NIV. NIV. Oh, good. I, I like that, actually. Um, and I have to admit, I hadn't read the full context to be able to um, know what uh, Dana was referring to, but most likely um, is, is talking about either, either the Antichrist uh, or someone from um, or the evil one. So and I'm just going to read my translation, which is the ESV translation, um, which might be similar to the uh, New King James translation as well. Uh, but I really like the way it says they will firmly resist him. And it says, mine says, Ishar seduce with flattery those that violate the covenants but the people who know their god shall stand firm and take action i think the new king james says they will be strong and do great exploits they'll be strong and do great exploits now knowledge of god allows us to be able to stand firm um and what do i mean by standing firm of course daniel was the one speaking here and the story of daniel was one in which if that was to happen in our day, I'm not sure many Christians can actually take the stand that Daniel stood. So the first example of Daniel taking a stand was when he came to his own personal devotion. He didn't eat the food that violated his conscience, i.e. he was offered meat. And for him as a Jewish person, he wasn't allowed to eat uh, that sort of delicacy. So that was number one. And then beyond that, there was another experience in chapter two of Daniel where the king made this unreasonable request. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, most of us have, had, we've, we might have had unreasonable bosses before where they'll give us an assignment that they know fully well that we cannot do, but only to see us fail, right? So the king asked Daniel, not just Daniel, but the entirety of his uh, wise men to tell him what they dreamt, and not just tell him what they dreamt, but to interpret it. Now, the wise men went back to the king and said, actually, there's no one on the face of the earth that has that ability. Now, you can interpret a dream. So in other words, I'll tell you my dream, you interpret it. But you're now telling me to tell you what you dreamt about. Because, of course, the only witness here is the person that dreamt the dream. Because, of course, if they lied, the person that dreamt the dream knows fully well that that's a lie. But not just tell you what you dreamt, but also interpret it. And the interesting thing, Daniel, too, is that Daniel actually prayed for God to give him and his friends the ability to interpret that dream. Very similar, it could be, you know, you've been at a workplace where your boss is giving you a reasonable request, making a reasonable request, i.e. to do all nighters because he wants a project done by the next day. You know, that's the sort of equivalent that we might have. And him saying that if you don't, or he or she's saying that if you don't do what I've asked you to do, you know, your job is on the line. And so in the case of Daniel, Daniel didn't have an HR crew to go and complain to. He didn't have a union uh, to say that, oh, my job's about to be taken from me. Daniel literally had to comply and because he didn't want to die, he prayed and God gave him the revelation. So that's Daniel too. Now, the third episode in Daniel was the fact that his friends um, chose not to compromise. They, didn't, they chose not to bow down to an image of the king. And, you know, they were like, king, you know, we would not bow down. And if, we, if you decide to kill us, we're happy for you to kill us. And if our God wants to rescue us, then great. And that's the third episode or dramatic episode in the book of Daniel where they stood their ground. They stood behind their convictions in spite of their lives. Now, 
I think for us in the Western world, the equivalent would be most of what we go through is losing our jobs. You know, we get canceled on social media. Um, capital punishment, maybe not. For them, they were thrown in a furnace, as in it was life punish or life, you know, capital punishment, like your life was at stake. But they held onto their convictions. Now, this is an example of them, or the three examples I've shared is an example of people standing firm in the face of adversity. It's an example of people not changing their standard because of the politics of the day. And then, of course, we've got the final example of, you know, Daniel. They said you couldn't pray anymore. You know, um, in fact, they told him you couldn't pray publicly. The brethren decided, you know what, I'm still going to do what I've always done. I'm not going to change that. Um, And as a result, you know, uh, they put him in lion's den and, of course, God rescued him. So that's an example of him standing firm. I don't know what standing firm looks like in your individual context. Whether, you know, um, you can't wear the cross to the office. That could be an example of you saying, you know what, whatever my boss or my company is going to say, I'm still going to stand firm and wear that cross. Or whether you choose not to eat the cake that has been put out to celebrate gay pride because of your convictions about marriage. You know, these are different expressions in which we stand firm. But to be able to stand firm, you need to have been convinced that come what may, things are going to be well for me. So that's one reason why for us as God's people, we need to know God so that we can be strong and push back against the onslaughts of the enemy. Because we have to understand in the days in which we're living in, things are getting darker and darker. You know, the standards are dropping every single day. And to be able to, you know, be a light in our respective context, we need that strength that God provides. It's not in our human strength to stand up for Jesus. There's nothing in us that wants to stand up for Jesus. If anything, we probably want to cave in on the pressure. But knowing God allows us to be able to resist. It's almost as though you're pushing back. And the image that comes to mind is when you're in the gym, you know, for those of us that, you know, go to the gym and you're pushing against the resistance. You know, that's the sort of image that comes to mind where you're pushing against uh, a border as a way of, you know, building strength. But in this situation, you have that strength and you're able to push back on the enemy. And that's what knowing God allows us to do, right? So I'm going to stop there. And I'm so sorry that for those of us that are in the WhatsApp group, I know I've asked two questions. Um, Unfortunately, we can't go through those questions just because of time. Um, But yeah, so that's, you know, one reason why we need to know God so that we can stand firm in these last days. We can remain faithful uh, to God because it's not in our own strength to do spirituality. It's not in our own strength uh, to do the Christian life. You know, the Christian life can only be lived because Christ lives in us, you know, Mm. uh, and and that's what we need uh, from God. All right. So I'm going to keep quiet. If there are any final thoughts or any reflections for anyone uh, before we close, uh, so please feel free to come off mute. If you've spoken before, all means we want to hear your voice again. If you haven't spoken, all the better. We want to hear your voice as well. So yeah, um, the floor is open for final reflections from anyone. Um, what I want to say, just a quick reflection in this, you know, just before I say that, you know what, I think I'm going to love this subject, Fuller, and I'm really kind of my spirit. I feel like I just want to go to a Bible school already, but yeah. Um, what I'm getting to, to tonight is I think knowing God, the best way I can probably reflect on is becoming best friend with God or becoming or establishing a relationship with someone, you know. 
And that requires so many things for you to establish relationship with someone. But one thing also I get from this meeting tonight is, you know, you know, sometimes we go through friendship, you know, and we destroy friendship by us not being honest, by doing something or whispering against them. And I think it's already there that, you know, we had a friendship with God, but as a human, we broke that relationship with God. But through the death of his God's son, Jesus, that friendship was restored for us. You know, that friendship was restored. And you know, when someone just restores something, it is all you get in a relationship with your partner or whoever that relationship. You know, I'll use my wife, for example. You know, what my wife requires for me is complete honesty. And for me to be transparent. And what I get tonight is that's what God wants us to be. You know, it's about becoming friends, being best friends. And when you're best friends with someone, we should be able to be naked. You know, God doesn't require us to be perfect friends because God already we, God already knows us, you know, that we're not perfect. So he doesn't require, he just require our complete honesty. And if we are friends with God, we will share everything with him. He just wants us to share things with him, just trust him with things. And that's what, when we develop friendship, you want to be trust your partner, whoever that friendship that is developed with, you want to trust them. And that's what I'm getting tonight, that, you know, We've got that friendship was already there, but we've broken it. But through the grace of his son, Jesus Christ, that friendship was restored. And that's what, you know, friendship is all about. Giving complete honesty and just trusting who are you gaining that friendship with. That he got your back. He know he'll be there. And one thing, he promised that he'll be there. So that's my little reflection for tonight. Thank you so much. Um... Joe and I like I like the the way you kind of cycled back into the friendship uh, with God and you know the means by which we enter into that uh, knowledge and relationship through Jesus. Um, we will listen to a song um, which we listened to at the beginning, um, and it's just for us to circle back in into what we've been looking at today uh, on knowing God. So the title of the song is "Knowing You." Uh, Jesus, and it's a song uh, by uh, Graham uh, Kendrick. So yeah, so this more or less concludes uh, our session for today. I'm so I'm going to stop recording, uh, so that way we can uh, play the song. <laughs> 